Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and I am right here, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden, right here in New York City. We're talking about killing Kenosha and kids. Now, socialism kills. Socialism kills, kind of like the movie Scarface. Like when the drug dealer gets to the end, right? If you've seen the movie Scarface, at the end, he just starts doing all sorts of cocaine, getting all hyped up and crazy, grabs an M16, and he goes to war because all the other rival drug dealers are out to get him. He's in his big mansion. He thinks he's got everything he's always wanted, but he's about to be left with nothing. That's how socialism is. The one guy at the top is lonely. He gets all the money, but eventually the people get tired of being broke. The people get tired of supporting the guy that's at the top. They realize it's like a Ponzi scheme. It's, it's a pyramid scheme. And they say, no thanks, no bueno. I don't want a piece of this. That's how socialism works, and it's worked that way pretty much everywhere. Now, you've got guys like Bernie Sanders that'll say, no, well, not so much. Uh, Denmark, Denmark. Healthcare is a right. And he says all these crazy little buzzwords, but the reality is it's not the United States. It's not something that we could employ here. Now, people listen to me like, nah, you've been brainwashed, too many right-wing talking points. Nah, that's not necessarily the case. It's that there's 330 or 350 million Americans. This isn't Denmark. This isn't the Scandinavian countries. They dwarf in comparison. Socialism kills. We've seen it in Venezuela where people were eating their dogs, and Jorge Ramos from Univision, he himself was in Venezuela, and he asked Nicolás Maduro point blank in his face, these kids are eating out of the back of a trash truck. He wouldn't answer, but we've seen it. People that I know that have come from Cuba, they've seen it. If we've seen what socialism can do to destroy a country, to destroy a people, the spirit of a nation, We've seen it a thousand times. And that's why we have to fight as hard as we do to get rid of it. And to never allow it to take root. People like to make these silly arguments. Well, socialism isn't communism. Make me relax, relax, relax. No, relax. You relax. Relax your whole face. Socialism is the vehicle that every communist society uses. Well, let me take that back. There's China. China. Right? China, they've decided we're going to be capitalist communists. Kind of like the Russians. Create these oligarchies at the top, this elite, take half your business through communism, but let you make some money through capitalism. They think they're getting the best of both worlds, but people are suffering. I didn't schedule it in time, but I want to bring on Morgan Zeggers from Young Americans Against Socialism. She's a really energetic young activist, I believe from New York, upstate New York. 
has a business. I met her at CPAC. We keep in touch on Instagram. She's terrific. And she's got these little daily commie quotes that I think are terrific. You definitely have to check them out. But Trump said it best when he said, America will never be a socialist country. And God bless him for it. Because we need that type of anti-communist movement. We need that type of vigilance against communism. Because you know what? McCarthy was crying about this in the 50s and they made fun of him saying it was the Red Scare and it was a spook. And sometimes I'm like a broken record talking about this stuff, but the reality is this is real. They're after our way of life. Now, they're not like plotting like Dr. Evil. (laughs) They're not doing that. They just, we're an enemy. The more we flourish where everybody gets rich and everybody can eat, or at least more people can do it than in their country, the less it's appealing for the people in their country to listen to them and for them to be able to keep the people under their thumb. If you see everybody popping off and doing great stuff in the United States, you're like, man, look at that guy. He goes to work every day. He bought a house. Those things don't even happen in other parts of the world. Now, I realize there's parts of the world that are fantastic. I'm not trying to paint a doomsday scenario. What I'm trying to do is paint the scenario where you realize that this stuff is messed up. And you've got to be on top of your game. You've got to know what's going on because socialism kills. You have to know your facts. And that's why I get my facts from JustFacts.com. Go to JustFacts.com slash rich. JustFacts.com slash rich. Excuse me. That was like fast forward. <laughs> JustFacts.com slash rich. R-I-C-H. And that's facts. F-A-C-T-S dot com. Sign up for the free newsletter. You're not going to regret it. Now, keep it locked right there, because when we come back, I want to talk about what's going on in Kenosha, the new developments. I caught a little heat because I said, where the hell is this kid's parents? Why aren't they taking responsibility for what's going on? You may want to hear what I have to say. I'll be right back. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. All right, welcome back, America. I am Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on Twitter, at Rich Valdez on Parlor, at Rich Valdez on Instagram. Get me on Facebook. We share different things on different platforms, so try to chime in with us on all of them. And if you're able to, definitely always try to catch us on WABCRadio.com, streaming live every Saturday, live at 5 o'clock, right here from Midtown Manhattan. I hope you can tune in and join us for that. But what I want to talk about right now is Kenosha, right? So we talked a little bit about this last time with this young cat. His name is Rittenhouse, Kyle Rittenhouse. And some people are like, man, he's a patriot. He's this, he's that. He's Superman. He's super soldier. The kid's the best. Now, I'm not saying he's not. What I said was, if it were my kid, he wouldn't be in the middle of a riot at 17 years old, at least not without me to have his back. I don't know where this kid's dad is. I haven't heard a word from this kid's dad. They're saying his mom dropped him off. Listen, I'm not trying to be overly judgmental. I'm just looking at it like a dad. Now, as more facts come out, we're finding out that his mother dropped him off. He didn't travel by himself. She brought him to Kenosha from 10 miles away or whatever that he lives, 20 minutes away in Illinois. But that he did, in fact, not have a gun with him. He borrowed the gun from his friend when he got there. And his attorneys, at least on Tucker Carlson on Fox News last night, said that they are going to go at the law that says you can't be 18 or younger and carry this weapon, or you have to be 18 and older to carry publicly, that the open carry rule is for people that are 18 and older. Hope I'm saying that right. Philosophically, I think I I agree with that. Because why? Well, the Second Amendment doesn't oppose any age restrictions. But again, states have rights and there's federalism. So it's going to be interesting to see how this comes out, these uh, constitutional challenges. However, it does change the game. If he didn't bring the gun across state lines, 
that's a different story. Now, will he himself get in trouble? Like Attorney General Bill Barr said, if anybody that's crossing state lines to participate or agitate in a riot in a different state is going to be prosecuted by the DOJ, I don't know. But you guys remember that Bill Barr said that. We must have law and order on our streets and in our communities. And it is the responsibility of the local and state leadership in the first instance to halt this violence. The Department of Justice, including the FBI, the U.S. Marshals, the ATF, the DEA, and our 93 United States attorneys office, U.S. attorneys' offices around the country are supporting these local efforts. We'll continue to support them and take all action necessary to enforce federal law. In that regard, it is a federal crime to cross state lines or to use interstate facilities to incite or participate in violent rioting. And we will enforce those laws. Thank you. So I don't know where that's going to land. But I do know I got into lots of back and forth with a lot of people because on my personal Facebook, which is not public, uh, definitely get me on the public page because I check that actually more often than I check my personal Facebook page. I spoke with some of my friends, people I went to high school with, people that I know, and people that I honestly love. Uh, They're good peeps. We had interesting conversation over topics that we didn't agree on, and people were saying that they don't like the idea that this young vigilante kid went across state lines to start shooting people up. However, I differ in that opinion, like I said, because as a dad, I don't think this this kid should be there. He just shouldn't have been there to begin with. I think it was not the right place, not the right time. We have a military. We have police. We have grown men that can carry, that can do what has to be done. It didn't have to be them. Now, I get it. There's other people that like to be extreme, and they're like, oh, he saw nobody else was doing it, so he did. If we lived our lives doing I saw that nobody else was doing it, and I did it, what kind of society will we have? Really? Put two and two together for a second. I'm not faulting him. I think he did do the right thing. I think he lacked some guidance, and I would have done the same thing he did. I'm just calling it like I see it. I wish him the best, and I hope he gets over. I really do. I hope he becomes a cop. I hope uh, if he does get in trouble, the president pardons him, and he's able to find a police chief somewhere that says, hey, you know what? I'm looking to look beyond that and give you a job so you can have a future because you showed valor. I really do hope that's the case. But at the same time, I think we as a people just have to be realistic and step back and say, all right, let's take a look at this thing. I mean, are we all going to just send our kids out to the front line at 17 years old? If that's what you're doing, great. I mean, I got into it with my brother, and he was like, I'd be proud if my kid did that. I'm thinking, oh, your kid's 20. My kid's 19. My other kid's about to be 15 in about 10 days. So they're right in between, you know, 15, 19. So 17 falls right in the middle. I'm not sending either of my kids into a riot, gun or no gun. There's enough people out there that can do it. And guess what? When my commander-in-chief or my governor or anybody else says, hey, we ran out of people, nobody wants to help anymore, then guess what? You step up, like in 9-11. In 9-11, they needed help, and people were around the clock making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, helping people with blankets, doing all sorts of things. Everybody took their part because it was massive. It was overwhelming, and they needed the help, and they accepted the help, and they asked for the help. That wasn't the case in Kenosha. It probably has, I don't know, 80,000 people. I'm guessing. If you want to fact check me, go right ahead. I don't care. It doesn't really make a difference in this argument whether I'm right or wrong on that factoid. I'm just making a point. It's not New York City that's being overrun, which has the biggest police force in the world and has been overrun when these things happen because they were told to stand down. There's so many interesting dynamics that go into this. But the point being, one of my buddies, he made a comment saying that, you know what, it's terrible that they vilify the the black guy 
but they praise and, and they make him look like a hero. The other kid, they show a picture of him cleaning graffiti. And I thought to myself, I don't think that's what they're doing. I think they're just putting the facts out. This dude, Blake, is a class A douchebag. I mean, I read the criminal complaint, and in quotes, it says that he went, sexually assaulted the woman after he broke into her house, and she was laying in her bed with her child next to her. And he digitally raped her with his fingers, then smelled them and said, it smells like you've been with other men. How gross is that? I don't want to go there. That's what's in the complaint. That's what happened. That's indefensible. So to find all these people defending this guy, of course, they back up and they say, I'm not defending him. I'm just saying just because he did one bad thing or even 10 bad things, whatever the case is, that he doesn't deserve to get shot in the back. And I say, hell yeah, he deserves to get shot in the back, not because of his criminal past, but because he put the cop in what they considered to be lethal danger. And they squeezed that trigger until they felt the threat was gone. And that's literally how they're trained. So I get it. When these people say, oh, we got to defund the police, we've got to defund the police, okay. They want to go after training. They want to defund because of that, right? They want to dismantle the police academy so there is no training. So ultimately, the cops have no guns. So, you know, when a guy like Jacob Blake is at the house of someone who has a restraining order, whatever the case is, and somebody's there and you're like, hey, you can't be here. You got to go. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, you screw you. I got a knife in my car. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to shank you. And what are you going to do? Pepper spray him? Just hope that he goes away? This whole idea of defunding the police is so stupid. Now, the demilitarizing part of it, that's a part that, honestly, in my family, we've talked about for a long time. And I'm sure there's a lot of opinions on this. Um, I, have, I have family members that currently work in anti-terrorism in NYPD. Well, guess what? That job can become militaristic at times or paramilitary because of the nature of the job. But it doesn't, to me, disqualify the idea or negate the idea that we should have a cop that looks like a cop that has a regular cop, like the tent hat that they wear and, you know, just saying hello to people. Hey, I'm Officer So-and-so and you're Mary and you're Joe and you're Tom and you're Pepe and you're Abdul. We should have that. I don't know why we don't have that. I don't understand why cops are always glued to the car. And that's where I fault modern-day policing. And I get it. They're like, there's targets on them, this, that, and the other. I do. I understand. But there has to be a balance. There has to be cops walking into more than just the local coffee shop that shows them love. Because I've been in that uniform, and I've gone in. They show you tons of love when you're in the uniform. They give you everything for free, and they're like, oh, they can't want you to keep coming back because they love the protection. They love the, the patronage of the police, Dunkin' Donuts, all those places. And kudos to them for back in the blue. But I'm talking about the jewelry store, the, the bodega. You go and say, hey, Jose, Juan, Pepe, whatever your name is. What's up, man? I'm the new guy in town. You know, This day to this day from 4 to 12, I'm your guy. And you know, just let me know. Here's, here's my card. Community policing. Now, I get it. I'm a civilian and people are going to look at me like, yeah, yeah, those days are long gone. I don't believe that. I believe the more of that you have, the less crime you have later, the less kids you have going astray, becoming lunatics. Because there's a resource in the community and they don't see it as us versus them. And I mean, I, I, I worked in this in a professional capacity when I ran the Family Success Center program for the New Jersey D- Division of Community and Family Partnerships. 
as part of the Christie administration. That's what we did. We helped build these community centers, and law enforcement was a big part of it. So it was the faith community. So I get this stuff, and I have somewhat of an understanding of it from a practical, on-the-ground perspective. So I don't think we should dismiss these things out of hand. I really don't. I think it's a conversation we should have where the cops should roll up and be wearing shoes, maybe not combat boots. Maybe they shouldn't have 87 pockets on the sides of their pants. All right, if you need to have stuff, you have stuff. But when I was a kid, cops were wearing patent leather shoes. They were, getting, uh, they were getting a rip if they were wearing black New Balance because they were more comfortable. I mean, I was a teenager. I remember guys in the New Jersey State Police, and I don't know if that's changed since then. It may have. But I remember those guys were wearing the Bates shoe with the one buckle. Their pants were crisp. They had a uniform with a tie. They were sharp. And I don't think the argument should be, oh, you should only be sharp if you're a state trooper. No, man. If you're wearing the uniform, you should be sharp. Wear the shoe. Do what you got to do. Look right. And again, I'm not bringing it down to just the shoe. I don't want to be petty. I'm just saying if every cop looks like a SWAT officer, you're sending a message to the community that this is a police state. And, I mean, we've had policing for a million years. Just hit rewind a little bit. And you'll see the Charlie Chapman-looking um, constables from back in the days with those big silly hats and the big badge and the, the double-breasted police jackets. And they, they were sharp, really sharp. I remember cops wearing tie bars that said NYPD. Today, I mean, it's, it went from cargo pants to wrinkled cargo pants to faded cargo pants to looks like they only own one pair of cargo pants. And that's not every cop, but I'm just making observations as somebody that, you know, seen this growing up as a kid, and I look around today, and it, it just, it, it doesn't look the same. Everybody looks like they're coming off of a SWAT shift. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not trying to attack the cops, but I am trying to say we need to engage the police a little better. Maybe more cops in schools, making friends with the students, whatever the case may be. Anyway, that was a tangent I just wanted to share, because when it comes to demilitarizing the police, I think that the police have a role. I think county sheriffs have a role if you're going to have county government at all. And we need to really zero in on that and figure out who's doing what and how. The SWAT guys should look like SWAT guys. The counterterrorism guys should be counterterrorism guys. But there should be guys on the street. And I know NYPD has so many units. They've got community affairs and they wear golf shirts and they're a lot more friendly and they're out there doing public relations. And that's great, but that's public relations. I'm talking about actual policing. You know, putting people in handcuffs, doing things. So if you got to be comfortable, be comfortable. I'm just saying look friendlier, be friendlier. That, that's all I'm saying. And that's not an, an indictment on the police. That's more of a critique on command. Just their operational command choosing not to do that. Choosing to tie their hands. Because I think most cops do want to help. And they do want to be present. And they do want to be there for the community. But when you have a police commissioner like we have in New York, who does the bidding of the mayor blindly, that's a problem. So swinging it back to Kenosha, this kid Blake, I think he's got a good lawyer. He's got a team of good lawyers. There, there's a lot of facts out there, and there's more and more facts being revealed every day. Uh, I maintain my position. I think he should have stayed home. I don't think he should have gotten himself into that mess, but I also maintain my position that being there and going through what he went through, i 99% sure, based on the facts and based on the video I've seen, I would have done the same exact thing. And I think that's why President Trump is headed out there. Listen to a little bit of what President Trump had to say. Check this out. It was a 
supporter of yours, Mr. President, who killed someone, is accused of killing two people. It's a supporter of yours. Well, we're, we're looking at all of it. Uh, that was an interesting situation. You saw the same tape as I saw. And uh, he was trying to get away from them, I guess, it looks like. And he fell. And then they very violently attacked him. And it was something that we're looking at right now, and it's under investigation. But I guess he was in very big trouble. He would have been, I, he probably would have been killed, but it's under, it's under investigation. Do you think private citizens should be taking guns? I'd like to see law enforcement take care of everything. I think everything should be taken care of law enforcement. But again, we have to give our cops back, our police back their dignity, the respect. They're very talented people. They're strong. They're tough. They can do the job, but we've taken it away. See, now that's a class act, in my opinion. I think the president did the right thing. He wasn't coming in on any side of it. He said, to me, it looked like self-defense. He hinted that way. Great. I agree. But he didn't try to use any undue political influence and try and sway things one way or another. He's saying he's going to go check out what's going on because there's unlawfulness and disorder, and he's a law and order president, and kudos to him. Now, who should we critique? I think Larry Hogan. Tremendo pendejo, Larry Hogan. He fires a guy for wearing a, a shirt that says Kyle and supporting the kid and sending him money for his legal defense fund. I mean, look, I, if you do it at work, I guess that's... I, I do believe at work, you got to check everything at the door and do your work. Uh, but Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. I'm Su Lin Wong, host of The Prince, a new podcast series from The Economist. It's about China's leader, Xi Jinping. He's the most powerful man in the world, but he remains a mystery. His story is hidden behind a brutal censorship and propaganda machine. After 10 years in charge, it looks like he'll break convention to stay on, perhaps for the rest of his life. I'll tell the real story of China's leader, the lessons he learned from watching his parents lose everything and from rising through the ranks of a vicious regime. Now, he's using those lessons to control over a billion people. He's changed China, he's changed my life, and the decisions he makes affect us all. To understand what's next, you need to know where he came from. Listen to The Prince from The Economist, wherever you get your podcasts. If they're doing it outside of work, it's total censorship and it's such BS. And I think they could have easily told this guy, listen, if you're going to be doing that type of thing, you, you can't do it at work. And if, if he didn't listen, then that's a different story. But... I don't think those were the steps that were taken. Hogan fires at this guy. That's just not cool. I'm looking at Newsmax. Check this out. Maryland official fired for memes supporting Kenosha shooter. Arthur, quote unquote, Mac Love, the fourth, an official with Maryland Governor Larry Hogan's administration, was fired Saturday for posting memes on Facebook. See, and this is what I mean. Do you show up with your shirt to your job? They have a right to say, listen, bro, take that off. You work for the freaking government. What's your problem, free Kyle? But at the same time, and he can make the case, well, hey, I work in the public square. I want to wear this. I think that's impractical, and it's, it's just it falls outside of the realm of reason to me. But Facebook, this digital censorship from your job, I think is such crap. I really do.
He was ratted out by a guy named Eric Ludke. He reported the post he saw online showing a smiling police officer with two thumbs up and a caption, don't be a thug if you can't take a slug. Ludke called on the governor to fire Love, who as deputy director of the governor's office of community initiatives oversaw the commission on African-American history and culture. These guys are cowards. I think have the fight. Let the guy say, listen, he's our guy. Is he doing his job to do what he's got to do? Now, I guess they're going to make the case and say, look, what you're doing in your private life is spilling in over into public life and making the governor look bad. And the governor has every right to fire anybody in his administration. But I just think it, it's a low blow. It's cheesy. Ultimately, it doesn't make Mr. Um, governor Hogan look any better. I think he should have had a conversation and straightened this guy out and said, listen, man, come on, do me a favor. You're going to do that. Do it on your own time. Don't put it out there so publicly. Um, and he could have been like, look, it's my Facebook page. It's private. It's blah, blah, blah. And bring it to the, to the policy. I mean, maybe the state has a policy on electronic communications and how you represent the state, which is entirely possible. A lot of companies do. And if that's the case, then, of course, he's in, within his rights to do it. He can fire anybody he wants anytime. But I think it just, it, it's not a good look. It really looks like you're just quashing dissent. Because he wasn't calling for, for shooting anybody. I think it was a clever, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek slogan. But it wasn't, he wasn't saying to shoot somebody. It definitely wasn't something that was racial or anything like that, where the guy that's in charge of uh, African-American affairs, history and culture. And I got to think, when I served in the governor's administration in New Jersey, we had a director of African-American affairs, and he was black. So if you've got a black guy now that you're firing, saying free Kyle, I don't know. Now, if they have a white guy that's in charge of uh, African-American history and culture, which is entirely possible, that I don't know. I'm just looking at this at face value and thinking everybody's just freaking out over this thing because it's uncharted water and we haven't seen this type of thing before. Bottom line, I say keep your kids home and send this guy a donation so that we can get him off the hook because we don't want to see this kid in jail forever for having good aim. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. When we come back, a little bit more on why people are killing people. What the hell is going on? I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. Bienvenido, America. Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all social media. Rich Valdez with an S. I want to wrap this up with the Kenosha shooting and all that. I do believe there's so much debating and arguing going on. You know, there's an old saying that says, you know, don't argue for argument's sake. And a lot of people do. They argue for the sake of arguing. They don't care about the outcome of the argument. They just like to argue. Some people argue from other perspectives. And I'm seeing this honestly from both sides. And it's disappointing from both sides where people that are, in fact, um, maybe of a certain race and don't like another race come out against the one guy, and then vice versa. So you've got people that are like, oh, that kid's a Nazi, he's, he's a white supremacist, and I'm thinking, a white supremacist? He shot three white people, and he's white. How does that work? And you got people on, on the other side that are like, you know, do anything you want at all costs. It's what feels right that works. And the reason they justify that is because they don't really believe that. They'll believe in the Constitution all day long until until you press them a little bit and they come clean and they tell you the truth. I got a couple of people, you know, being Mr. Call Screener, um, I get to, to filter a lot of calls and a lot of crazies from, from talk radio. And it's really disheartening sometimes when somebody will call and be like, yeah, but you know, the thing is, 
you got to look at the previous uh, arrest record. I'm like, why Why do we have to look at that? Now, in, in the Blake case, if you're the cop in the car and you're serving a warrant, obviously you're looking at the previous arrest record or the previous criminal history, the, what, what the guy is wanted on the warrant for. So you know if this is a felony thing, you, you, this may get violent. You're not coming here for, for a parking ticket that wasn't paid and you're going to put a boot on somebody's car. This is the real deal. You're going to put this guy behind bars for multiple years for a felony charge, and he's going to do whatever he can to try and get away if he's a professional criminal. And that's, to me, the crux of the matter. But we'll get there in a second. And I think people start justifying things, saying, oh, well, you know, I mean, same thing with George Floyd. Look, listen, I don't care how many freaking drugs George Floyd was on and how there's three autopsies. Two of them say he died from knee to the neck. The third one says he dies from fentanyl. All of a sudden, everybody wants to go with the third one. Why? Well, because deep down in their hearts, they don't like this dude. They don't like him. They don't care that he's dead. They don't care that his children don't have parents. They don't care that his parents don't have children or at least have him as a child. And that's a fact. I do feel bad for the guy. He's a human just like me, just like my family. A bad one. He was a bad human, I granted. But that wasn't why. He, they didn't kill him for being a bad human. He died because he got this knee to the neck for way too long. And if, maybe if he was sober, he could have endured it. But I think to myself, and I, I was talking about this with Mr. Producer, nine minutes on your neck, you think you're making it out? I don't think I'm making it out for me. I don't think anybody is. That's like an insane amount of time. Growing up, I did some jujitsu, the rear naked choke. 90 seconds, two minutes, these people are asleep. Imagine not letting go once they're asleep. What do you think happens when you're applying pressure to a carotid artery? Exactly. So I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Maybe if you want to go out and choke somebody, that's on you. I'm not recommending that. But I'm just telling you, having uh, put somebody to sleep with a rear naked choke, it doesn't take forever. And the effects are pretty immediate. And I think if you keep the gas going while they're asleep, I think the only possible outcome is that they're not going to make it. They're going to stop breathing like forever. Blood flow, oxygen flow to the brain ends, and that's it. No more human. So that's my take on that. I think people want to bring up the past all too often, not because they want to say, oh, but this guy was a real scumbag to begin with. Okay, granted, he may have been. But in the Floyd case, they didn't know that. All they really know there is some guys passing off at 20, and, you know, for all intent and purpose, he's, He's drinking something he shouldn't, or he's smoking something he shouldn't. He looks high as a kite. They get there. He seems, you know, he's resistant, but he's not um, combative or anything like that. And I watched every video that they've put out there. He became resistant, and they had to subdue him. I'm not arguing that. Yes, that happened. He was trying to get away. He was trying to be slanky and be like, oh, no, 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 let me slip out of this. No, I'll be out of here. Thanks. No, 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 I'm good. I saw all of it. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying you don't kill people for doing that. He wasn't reaching for a gun. He wasn't trying. He wasn't a deadly threat. It wasn't anything like that. Unlike Blake. And and that's the point I'm making. You have to assess what you have. With Blake, they're going to serve a warrant. They know who the guy is. They're going because he is who he is. With Floyd, they're not going because of who he is. They're going because of what he just did. And then they go with, you know, action, reaction, action, reaction. Ultimately, he gets knee to the neck for a long time. And because he's all messed up, he's done. Could be because he's messed up, could be knee to the neck. I'm going to go with never done fentanyl in my life, and you put your knee on my neck for nine minutes, I think I'm a goner too. So when people hold on to that, I've got no choice but to think that's why. So sometimes I'll press people, and I'll say, hey, 
Why does that matter? And they get frustrated. And they'll say something like, well, because these people, that's what they do. They're all the same. They always do. There's always a backstory. And I say, well, who's these people? You know, playing dumb, devil's advocate. And they'll say, well, the African-Americans. And I'll say, so you're making it about race when it really should be about criminality. And that was the argument I got into with my friends on Facebook. If you look at like the top 10 cities in America with the highest murder rates, and I looked at the 2019 and the so far through 2020 data, I think eight out of those cities have predominantly African-American populations. Now, I don't walk away from that thinking that because mainly black people live in that neighborhood that they're going to have a higher murder rate. I just think that in those neighborhoods, they have high murder rates and black people live there. I don't think it has something to do with them being black because the same thing happens in like York, Pennsylvania, which is more white, but it still has a high murder rate. So to me, it's, it's lifestyle choice. It's what you base your worldview on. It's what you live for and what you stand for and how you live. It's not about literally like the genetics that make up your skin tone or the fact that, like AOC says, the melanated skin. I don't think that the darker you are, the worse of a human you are. I think that's a bull. But there are people that believe that. I think education neutralizes all of this stuff, and I've seen it happen. You know, I don't get into this too much, but in 2009, 2000, maybe it was 2010, or end of 2010, beginning of 2011, like December, January, former secretary or uh, commissioner of education, Brett Schundler in New Jersey, asked me if I was interested in joining a uh, founders group with him to start a charter school based on the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's dream And not the I have a dream speech, but specifically a dream or a vision that he had called the beloved community, a community where people uplift their brother and people care about one another. And they were such general universal principles that, in my opinion, aligned with Christianity, but were not mutually exclusive to uh, Christianity. And they were able to be universally accepted in a public school. And that year, I think four schools applied or 20 schools applied, and we were one of the few, if not the only one, that got approved and got our charter to operate a charter-operated public school in the city of Jersey City. And we, we selected the poorest part of Jersey City because there was tons of data showing that the poorer you were, the less income, financial resources that you had, along with parents' level of education, that these two factors would ultimately determine how kids perform in school. Now, I thought to myself, that's crap. So you're saying if you're from the bad part of town, dad skipped out, mom didn't go to college or had to drop out of high school, and she's on public assistance because she's got no money, that you're sentenced to death, educationally speaking, that you can't make it, you can't be valedictorian, you can't go to Harvard. And I thought to myself, that's that's bull because this is America and we have to do better than that. And that's what we set out to do. And that is what we did. And today, 2020, you know, nine going on 10 years later, uh, I'm no longer active on the board, but still a founder. And it's my honor to have my name on a plaque in the building at 500 Grant Street in Jersey City at the beloved community charter school. And today we have the beloved community middle school and the beloved community high school. 
And, and this is one of the things I'm proudest of in life. I don't get into it a lot because to me, this is an endless topic. And sometimes I think people aren't interested in hearing about it. But Beloved Community Charter School is literally across the street from Lafayette Village. That's a housing project, a public housing project. It's across the street from the projects. I love it. I mean, this is one of the best ideas that we've ever had. That's, that's what we should do with every housing project is put a beautiful school in front of it and show the parents and the community that irrespective of politics and irrespective of your income and irrespective of everything, we have an even playing field where we can learn to read and to speak and communicate and operate at a highly educated level. And so today, Beloved has classes, I think, from 8.30 to 4.30 or from 9 to 5, and that's the norm from kindergarten on. There's aftercare that goes to like 6.30. It's a longer school day. There's Saturday sessions. We call them scholars instead of students. You walk around the school and you'll see pennants pinned up on the walls, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, Georgia Tech, Stevens. So these little kindergartners are walking around and they're knowing that one day they're going to go to one of those schools because that's what they do. And a couple of, I think it was last year when they looked at um, the state average and then Beloved's average, and they were almost about 10 percentage points higher in every area on the state exam. And that's on the Beloved website. I doubt any of you want to check it out, but it's just something that I'm so proud of because these scholars, they've shown that that is the case. When you eliminate teachers' unions, you take teachers that care, that'll work for less than they would make in public school. You get parents involved. You have a board that cares. You have administrators that care, and you have a very clear plan. And you, you lay it out from the beginning. You say, we're, we're going to have a no-excuses culture. We are going to learn. We're going to use analytics to, drive, uh, to drill down and be driven by this data so we can know exactly how we're going to educate these students. You see the difference. Now, I tell this to people, and they say, oh, but charter schools are terrible. Charter schools are the worst. They're taking the money. Listen, when an adult tells you charter schools are bad because they take away money from the schools, you should turn around and ask them, shouldn't the money be with the student, not with the school? What good is having money at a school if the student's at a different school? It's going to be tough for them to dig their way out of that because that's what charters do. They allow the money to travel with the student. So the student has choice and he can go to whatever school he wants, whatever school his parents want to send him to. If they live in that county, at least in Jersey and Hudson County, that's how it was. As a matter of fact, even if you live anywhere statewide, you could get into the lottery. I mean, there's a long waiting list now, but you can get in and there's preference for siblings so that siblings can go to school together. And I've met a number of parents, and sometimes you get a parent that's uh, you know a little upset. And why? Because their kid's been in Beloved since day one. They never knew what it was like to send their kid to, to a Jersey City public school. So if they have to complain about something, it's something usually not incredibly serious. And don't get me wrong, there's kids involved. There's serious things that happen. But for the most part, it's a wonderful school. And I'm not here to do an infomercial for Beloved. What I'm really talking about is just, when you give parents that choice, people have an opportunity to turn their lives around. We're all on the same page if we can all get into the same school. It has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with equality of opportunity, not the equality of the outcome. And that's just basic. But those are facts. That's all I got on that. And the only other thing I wanted to talk about with kids was this story that I read in the New York Post. And man, what a story. 
I think overall, between Georgia and Ohio, 39 kids that were kidnapped and sex trafficked for slavery and other things were rescued a few days back. 15 of them were directly tied in the Georgia sting, uh, the arrest that they did and the roundup. And there's more to go. Just today, ICE arrested 2,000 illegal aliens. Not necessarily related. I'm just saying the wheels of justice are continuing to move while crazy things are happening. It just seems to be there's a lot of crazy things happening, and you've got a lot of district attorneys, county prosecutors, municipal prosecutors that are literally throwing you know, a wrench in the gears of justice to slow them down even more. That's not something that we should support. It's not something we should uh, protect or defend. We got to call these people out because they're trying to slow down the progress that so many minorities are making in so many communities. And they're just putting criminals on the street to people that already have a disadvantage. And yeah, let me tell you, if you grow up in a neighborhood where you're hearing gunshots at night, there may not be a father in your home. You may live in a housing project or in a very economically impoverished area. You're at a disadvantage to the person that has two parents at home. Now, again, irrespective of race. You could be a white guy, an Indian guy, whatever. If you have those disadvantages, you live in the hood, there's no dad in your home, it's a bad neighborhood, there's crime, there's violence and poverty, you're at a disadvantage. But a good school can help you get there. Better politicians can help you get there too. I mean, everything works hand in hand. If you don't have the, these like Philly had, Larry Krasner, who was putting people back on the street just like the, the ones that they have here in New York, Cy Vance wants to put Trump and Trump's family in jail, but wants to let everybody else out. Guy who cracked the police commissioner over there, the police chief, Monahan, nothing. They let the guy walk. They charged one girl, let her out with like $7,500 bill. I mean, it's absolute insanity. And now I'm going back a few months. I'm not trying to dig up a, a dead horse and beat it to death again. I'm making the case that it's important that we have the right people in the right places. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I want to put that out there because again, we've got a really mixed audience. And I love the audience and I want to thank you again last week. Man, we, we uh, typically are in the top 200 on the Apple political chart from Chartable.com. That's how I measure it. I'm always honored. And last week, I think we hit number 67, thanks to the Levinites who tuned in uh, when I got to sit in for Mark and boosted us up to that level. So thank you so much for doing that. And I thank each and every one of you always that, you know, leave a five-star review and comments. The comments are great because I don't get to hear from everybody and they really are heartwarming for me and for uh, Mr. Producer. So I definitely appreciate those and keep those coming if you want to. I'm always willing to read them. And um, whenever I can, I print out a few of them and I'll read them online and on the air. That said, I always leave you with an admonition, letting you know that if you stand for nothing, you will absolutely fall for anything. So don't fall for anything. Know what you stand for. You fall down, get right back up and do it again. Because th that's what Hamilton said, right? Stand for nothing, fall for anything. Then Sir Edmund Burke. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And that means you too, ladies. So don't do nothing. Do something. It's time for all of us to do something in whatever capacity we can. There's no more, I'm just a regular person, what can I do? Those days are over. It's time for you to do something. It's time for you to, to act up. Now, I'm not saying act up and grab your AR-15 or your buddy's AR-15 and go into the middle of a riot when you're a minor. I'm not saying that. And I hope he gets off. But I am saying we've got to do more. We're 62 days away from an election. It's now or never, people. Trump 2020. So, hasta la próxima. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America.
Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com.